0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. Today I'm recording in my old rental house. It is completely clean and empty and ready to turn back over. I'm actually here to drop my key off and I thought, hey, while I'm here, this is nice and quiet, no distractions, I'll go ahead and record while I'm here before I say goodbye and head out. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, My husband and I are now completely moved into our new house in West Virginia that we just bought. Um, Unpacking, I want to say, is about 80% done, and there are just things still to be done as far as unpacking and getting things where they need to be and and buying the types of things that, that make a house run smoothly. My kitchen is a little bit smaller. It doesn't have as much space, so I'm trying to get creative with storing things or getting rid of things, as the case may be. So that's just where I'm at personally. But today, I wanted to talk on this podcast about motivations and what motivates people in their political views. And in how tightly or strongly they hold or articulate or act on those political views. So the average person, I would say, is not not as thoughtful as you would maybe hope. The average person doesn't necessarily think that politics influence every single thing. The average person probably has more of their views dictated by emotions or current events or reactions uh, than any type of deep philosophical underpinning or education. And even those who, who have a fairly significant education still don't necessarily lean on that education on the daily basis of having a reaction or having a viewpoint around a dinner table, or in a social interaction, or on Twitter, about a political issue. So, let me give you an example. I was raised very, very conservative in a conservative Christian household. I was homeschooled, so I wasn't in, in the public school system. I wasn't being fed a lot of other people's ideas. I really just had... What I was being taught, what the curriculum said, what the books I was reading were saying. And I was reading a lot of books. I was reading a lot of classics. And I was reading a lot of stuff from my age range. I was just reading a broad swath of things. And at that time, I cared a lot about politics. And I talked about it a lot. And then I picked a fairly politically minded conservative school and I went there for college and I like to think I got a pretty good education. So when I left college, I had a really good philosophical underpinning for my political views. But what I also had were 21 years of not all, but several very very bad experiences with conservatives and christians and and that whole group of people and i found that my education that supported a conservative viewpoint and a and a strong theology didn't matter as much as those bad experiences I'd had. The things that took up more of my headspace, the things that dictated more of my reactions and my opinions when I wasn't thinking about it were the bad experiences that I'd had or the hypocrisies that I'd seen. So by by 2019, 2020, mid-2020, I was leaning a lot farther left than I would have expected and that you would expect based on what you maybe see or hear from me now. And that wasn't because my education had been bad. That wasn't because I had really sat down and hammered out my thoughts and leaned left. It was just because I had seen a lot of hypocrisy on the right and I was leaning away from it. And I'd had bad experiences with people on the right, so I was leaning away from it. And it was 2020, um, about the summertime. I had a different Twitter account, completely different Twitter account, and I was only on Twitter to talk about books. I followed a lot of YouTubers who talked about books and I just wanted to talk about the books that I was reading with a community of people and that community of people happened to be very liberal and I just relaxed into it I wasn't there to debate politics so if I saw a tweet I didn't agree with I just let it go I was just there to talk about books minding my own business very closeted conservative at the time I was still conservative but I was also tweeting Black Lives Matter, because at the time, I didn't see, I saw it at face value. I was like, Black lives, they matter. So I was, that's what I was tweeting along with everybody else. And I didn't see how it was a slogan for an organization I couldn't agree with. Um, and that's just something that it took me a long time to see. I told you on Twitter the other day that I would tell you who radicalized me because I would say I was very, during that time period, very moderate, moderate to a fault. And I'm going to tell you who radicalized me. And it wasn't Ben Shapiro, although my husband was listening to a lot of Ben at the time and frustrated with my inability to get on board with a lot of what Ben was saying at the time. Um, frustrated with how left I was leaning in uh, emotional, you know, motivated emotionally. Uh, misplaced compassion is what that is. But it was an author. Her name is Allie Carter. You can find her on Twitter. Please don't go be mean to her on Twitter. She's really a sweet, sweet lady. But Allie Carter writes books for young teenagers. They're, um, when I, was, when I was a young teenager, when I was 16 or so, I think is when I discovered her books. Um, all she had published was this series called the Gallagher Girls series, which was about uh, a school for spy girls, boarding school where girls went and learned how to be spies. And it, it was just really fun, heartfelt, clean, very, very clean book series, very wholesome, fun adventure stories. And I loved those when I was young. I read them as they came out. I reread them. I remember thinking about the third time that I was reading these books. Yeah, I'm going to keep rereading these my whole life. I, and at the time, I was reading Tolstoy as well. I was reading Herman Melville. Um, I knew that these books weren't high literature they weren't classic literature but there was something in them that really gripped me and i loved them and uh i would say i would have been up in the biggest fans category of this series and the the name of the fandom for this series is gallagher girls so the girls who go to the school are called gallagher girls and the fans are gallagher girls And so when I was on this Twitter account, I was following the author of this book series, Allie Carter, and um, she, among other of my favorite authors, were people I liked to hear from on Twitter. And then one day, I want to say late summer, early fall of 2020, was before the election, but when things were really heating up, Allie tweeted out, that no Trump supporter could be a Gallagher girl. I can't remember what her exact words were, but it was something to the effect of, if you support Trump, you cannot be a Gallagher girl. And it was very simple. There was no way to misinterpret it. Um, she just said it straight out. And I I had been silent for so long on Twitter. I had I'd had a completely separate account from the one I have now. I had been completely closeted in my conservative conservatism and following in line or at least keeping my mouth shut that whole time. But then she tweeted that, and I something just broke because one of my I wouldn't necessarily call Ali a hero, but she the series, the book series meant something. It was a, it it meant quite a lot to me growing up. It was a place I could go that was very safe and consistent. So I responded to Allie that night on Twitter, just saying, I, I did vote for Trump. And you have effectively locked me out of a fandom I have been in. I've been supporting you since I was 16. I've been reading these books over and over and over. And I remember saying something like, after this, I know there's no place for me on Twitter. I I knew that the minute I outed myself as a conservative, I couldn't have that account anymore. I would lose followers. I already couldn't follow JK Rowling or else people would just unfollow me. People would just go around checking to see if you follow JK Rowling and then, and then unfollow you if you do. So I was already staying in line on that. So I was like, I know there's no place for me here. I know that now I'm locked out of this fandom. And I think something about the way that I said it, Allie got concerned that I was suicidal or something. So she DM'd me that night and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? I had no idea that anybody who liked my books liked Trump. I want you to just think about that for a minute. She writes very, very clean stories for teenage girls about spies and about art thieves and, and she has a couple other series, right? She couldn't fathom that somebody who liked those books would also like Trump. That was the only reason she tweeted what she tweeted. It wasn't her intention to lock anyone out of her fandom. She had no idea that I existed. And she was shocked to find that I existed. And as unkind as her initial tweet was, she was incredibly kind to me in the conversation that followed. Except that she never actually apologized for tweeting what she did. Because she did believe it. She just realized I was a human being and hoped that someday I would change my mind. Um, so she... She talked to me about a lot of things. I was able to talk to her about some of my favorite scenes and some of the things in the books. It was it was really cool. I was grateful for it. But at the same time, it really did ruin her and a lot of her books for me. I still enjoy what she wrote, but there's something about an experience like that that just kind of dulls your love for something. And plus, she never took back that I, she never, she never did say that I could be a Gallagher girl. She, she never took that back, which, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter what she thinks. But anyway, I would say that that is what radicalized me, that that interaction is what drove me straight back to the right. Because it was right about then where I said, okay, I'm done with, with, with. Being closeted on Twitter, it's not worth it to me to talk about books if I'm just gonna get locked out of my fandoms and not be allowed to follow J.K. Rowling. It's not worth it to be here if all that I see are political comments and nobody's actually talking about books. So I deleted my account. Um, and it was it was months later before I was like, oh man. There are, there are still some things I'd like to see on Twitter. There are still some some things I'd like to... Maybe I'll just go back, but I won't be in the same community. And that's when I went back and started the account I have now and found all the conservatives that exist on Twitter. And I had no idea. I had no idea that there were so many conservatives on Twitter and so many good interactions to be had on Twitter. And And all that to say... At least for me, what has pushed me one way or the other hasn't been a fantastic argument for conservatism. It hasn't been Ben Shapiro destroying a liberal. It hasn't been even the great education that I received in defense of conservative values and capitalism. It wasn't any of that. What swayed me one way or the other was the bad actions of people on one side or the other. And I think that that is true more often than any of us would like to admit. That, I mean, I, I'm i a fairly thoughtful person, but that's even true for me. So how much more true is it for people who really don't take any time to think about politics, who who just listen to the news, who who don't necessarily think politics has a whole lot to do with their daily lives and so just kind of coast along with whatever whatever feels right at the time i would challenge us to consider that it's our as individuals as individual conservatives that it's our bad actions it's the way that we represent conservatives badly. It's the way that we represent Christianity badly that drives people away more than we ever bring people in. Um, and it's the same for restaurant reviews. It's the same for, for anything. If you have a bad experience somewhere, you're, you're so much more likely to tell somebody about it and influence a bad opinion of something than you are to tell somebody if you had a good experience. And I, I think that those, those bad interactions have a lot more impact than we realize. And I see a lot of conservatives on Twitter um, and in the mainstream, but I, th- I want to say mostly on social media platforms where there's that facelessness of being behind a keyboard, being behind a screen, saying, well, they're awful, I can be awful too, and justifying being really really mean on twitter being really rude and name calling and attacking physical attributes instead of ideas all sorts of things i and i get that sometimes it's just a relief to make a joke about how Maxine Waters looks as opposed to constantly having to do the tough work of interacting with ideologies. However, it is our unkindness on Twitter that continues to strengthen the left's position and vice versa. Whenever I get a leftist troll on my Twitter, I dig deeper into my position. Anytime we have kind of that proof that they're as bad as we think they are. We dig deeper into our positions. People weren't aggressively against the COVID vaccine until they started being attacked for not having gotten it yet. Um, And that's not to say there aren't valid reasons for these positions. It's just those negative interactions do encourage us to burrow deeper into our position in a way that we wouldn't. So I encourage each of us, including myself, to represent conservatives well because it's those good interactions that are going to pull people in. It's those, if we, if we really are right, if we really are proposing a better way to live life, then we shouldn't need those ad hominem attacks. We shouldn't need any of the rudeness. It doesn't, it doesn't actually gain us anything other than to make ourselves feel better and to vent off our own steam. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not winsome. It doesn't pull anybody in. I have never been swayed by a vicious attack by the left. And neither are they. They're not swayed by a vicious attack by us. And um, I think the best thing we can do is tell the truth and tell it clearly. To not back down on it. To, to pick our attacks very carefully as far as attacking the people who, who really are evil. Really are awful. It's not that we can't say anything mean about the Taliban. It's not that we can't say anything mean about Nancy Pelosi, about Hillary Clinton, about people who are clearly don't have the nation's best interests at heart. But as far as just your run-of-the-mill person on Twitter who's just wrong, there's no need to, to, with the vicious attacks. I've seen people be so, so mean on Twitter, and it's just not productive at all. Um, and that is, I mean, ultimately, if all you care about is being right and you don't care about winning anybody toward your point of view, fine, be as mean as you want, because certainly not going to pull anybody in. So, um, I think I have thoroughly made my point. Um, my husband's called me a couple times while I've been recording, so I'm gonna call it quits here. I know I'm about 10 minutes shorter than usual, but I hope you enjoyed. Um, yes, Allie Carter, the (laughs) young adult author, is who radicalized me. So, uh, let me know who radicalized you, and I'll see you on Twitter. Okay, bye-bye. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses chatting with Abby. It has been a couple weeks since I've recorded. Um, I don't know if you had seen my tweets, but uh, I had a good friend pass away uh, last last week on Monday. So I've been taking a little bit of time, um, tweeting less, and I didn't I didn't record the podcast last week. Uh, this weekend is the funeral and all of those festivities, but I did want to go ahead and record for you and not, um, I think that sometimes I'll just use any, any excuse to not um, be consistent with something, whether that's um, swimming or writing or recording a podcast, so I figured it while I don't really want to do this right now, it's probably better if I just do it. Um. So today on the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about my friend who died, and I want to talk about the supply chain issues. And I want to talk about Alex Baldwin and the rights response to him. And then I have a couple... um well, one book and one movie that I want to talk about just a little bit, so let's go. So first of all, my friend, um, friend and co-worker, someone I worked with at Freedom Alliance, um, he was the director of programs. Um, His name was Josh Miles. He was a um, decorated, very decorated um, military hero. Gunnery Sergeant Josh Miles um, United States Marine Corps. He fought in the Battle of Fallujah. Um, he had Purple Heart among other among other um, decorations, and he was very very good at his job, uh, helping other veterans um, deal with the physical and spiritual wounds that they received in. War, and I don't know what our organization is going to do without him. Um, but I know that we existed a long time before he came on board, and we will continue. Um, Josh is one of those rare human beings who just knew how to build up everyone around him. I never once saw him tear somebody down. And I think that that's just so uncommon in human beings. Not just in this day and age, but just in all of history. So uncommon for somebody to be completely focused on building other people up. And it's a real shame that we don't have him anymore. Um... So, uh, Friday, Friday is the funeral, and then, um, he will be buried in Arlington, which is appropriate. So, um, moving on from that, um, just personal update, um, I wanted to talk about supply chain issues. Now, I have seen tons of photographs on the internet, um, showing, massive supply issues at various stores, and I haven't seen those issues where I am. And that doesn't mean they don't exist, it just means that um, these supply chain issues are affecting different parts of the world differently. And I have a couple words of caution um, for the conversation on supply chain. The first is, this is one of those issues that can be self-fulfilling. If you get people worked up about a supply chain issue, you can create a supply chain issue because people will panic shop. And we've seen this. We saw this at the beginning of COVID. We've seen this. Every big storm that ever hit Maine when I was growing up, people would clear out the shelves of of milk and bread. But that doesn't mean that the supply chain issues aren't very real. It just means that we do need to be careful with how we interact with it. um, So that we don't, in our hoarding, um, make it so people can't get the basics that they need to survive. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is that we also have, and this this is well documented, we have a work shortage. We have a shortage of labor. Which means that sometimes... When shelves are empty, it's not necessarily because the goods don't exist. Um, it could also be, at least in part, that they're not being restocked throughout the day because of labor shortage. I've heard some people who work at some of these stores say that they don't have enough people, they don't have enough staff to restock throughout the day. So they stock in the morning and they, I'm sorry, they stock at night and then, um, whatever gets taken off the shelves throughout the day, they just don't have time to go into the back and refill the shelves. So there's a lot of different things going on, and it's unclear how much is actually being caused by goods not getting to the stores, um, and or goods not coming in at a normal rate if people are hoarding and panic buying. So those are just things to keep in mind, some nuance, um, to the conversation that that I think is important. Um... The other thing is, I think that us as Americans have gotten so used to living on such a slim margin. We've gotten used to being able to go to the store every day, multiple times a day if we want to, and there's, it's taken a while for anybody to even recognize that maybe it would be a good idea to have some things stockpiled. Now, I'm not... Again, I I don't think hoarding is a good idea, and I don't think panic shopping is good for society. If there are already shortages, it's not particularly responsible as a member of society to go and hoard a bunch of stuff um, when there are other people who who don't have anything. Um, There's just—if everyone is that selfish, then society does break down. However, you do have to take care of yourself and your family. So when you are able to not in the moment of crisis but in moments of of peace it is a really really good idea to have a certain amount stored up now I'm not a doomsday prepper I I find um documentaries about doomsday preppers incredibly fascinating um and the idea does um appeal to me to to feel that security of having a year of supplies on hand but that that's just not me however I think what I do want to build up to in in my house is about three months of supplies so I know that if something happened if there was a hiccup in the supply chain if there was um a a breakdown along some lines I would have enough and I would have enough to share so I know that that doesn't help people right in this moment if you're having trouble getting a certain good. Um, And I'm kind of saying both things at the same time. A, you should stockpile, but B, you shouldn't panic shop. But I think a good rule of thumb for all areas of life is to give yourself enough margin that you're not constantly betting on everything going well all the time. Give yourself enough margin to get to work on time in case there's an accident. Give yourself enough margin in your finances to say, maybe I have $100 I could spend on something fun this month, or I could put it aside so that next month, when I randomly have a flat tire, I can deal with that. Um, And I think that a lot of people, a huge percentage of people in this nation do not think in terms of building that margin for themselves and they just rely on the government to fall back on that social safety net that people talk about. And it's part of being a responsible adult that you do have to build that margin for yourself and not just expect other people to pick you up. And I know that that can be really hard to hear for people who do have absolutely nothing extra that they can put aside. Um, And that's a completely different conversation, but one thing I want to say right now about that is sometimes you're working hard and you're not getting anywhere because you're working hard in the wrong direction. Um, If you... You could put 8 hours, 12 hours of work a day into pushing against a wall and you're never going to push the wall over. And so I think it's important you have to have both you have to be working hard you you're never going to get anywhere if you're not working hard and then you have to be making sure that, that you are applying your effort in in a in a productive direction and I think that a lot of times you're so close to your own life that you don't necessarily have the perspective to see maybe when you're not pushing in the right direction, or you're pushing against way more resistance than you need to be. Um, And and those things, sometimes it's somebody else in your life who can help you find some perspective on on your labor. Um, That can be one way, or just trying to take a step back in your own mind and look at things objectively. But um, for example, I have many friends who work in some sort of real, um, some sort of, I completely lost my word. Food service and retail. Yes, there it is. I have a lot of friends who work in food service and retail who have been doing that for years and who don't have a college degree. They are very good at their jobs, very competent, and when I ask them why they don't apply for a higher paying job, uh, a desk job, some something that would um, be easier to maintain, um, either less hours or less difficult hours, they say, well, I can't because I don't have a degree. I'm not qualified. And the thing is that nobody, nobody told me that. And so I just didn't think I had that limitation. I didn't have a college degree when I got my first desk job. I had experience in hosting um, at a restaurant, so I had picked up phones for that particular job. And I had experience um, in, in hospitality at that restaurant. And those things were valuable to the church that hired me. They wanted somebody who had that hospitality and who was able to interact with other people. And that was really all that they needed and they were able to train me on everything else. And I think that that a lot of people don't recognize how translatable skills are. And they just, they don't even try to apply some somewhere to move up the... To, to upgrade their job, to make their life easier. They don't even try because they're afraid of failing and they're afraid of that rejection and they don't think it would be a worthwhile use of their time to apply or to try. Um, and so people stay in jobs that they hate, jobs that um, that are hard on their bodies, jobs that aren't paying their bills, and they don't even try to find something better. Um, and a lot of people, they just when they need a job, they, they apply for something and then once they get it they just act like they're stuck there as if they don't have choices especially right now with labor being so short everywhere um, a lot of people could upgrade their jobs pretty easily um, because it's a if you're if you're the one offering your labor you're you're a popular person in today's society um, where people don't want to work so that's just something I would encourage you to think about is you're not stuck where you are. We live in a country where you do have the right to sell your labor to whoever you want to sell your labor to, to to go and find a job that you love and that does pay your bills. And I'm not suggesting to quit your job and refuse to work until you find the perfect thing, but I am suggesting to always Uh, Even as you're working at one place. To be looking around and seeing if you can find something better. Um, My husband is very... He has a good job. um, And he's happy with his job. But he's always putting out feelers. um, Putting in applications for other places. Just to see. Just to poke his options. And sometimes he gets offered a job. And and then we do a cost-benefit analysis. And he decides not to take it. And he decides to stay where he is. But at least he knows... That he is always giving himself options and um, op- opening doors. Some of these jobs that he's been offered, um, he could go back and apply again and they would take him again um, if, he ever, if something ever changed and we needed something else. So um, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, I know I got a little bit off topic from supply chains, but the point is building yourself margin and not living a a reactionary life, but, but preparing and giving yourself options and not acting like you are stuck and at the whim of what happens to you because you're not, um, you're not at the whim of what happens to you. Then transitioning, very abruptly to my next topic i I know that um alex baldwin Alec Baldwin has been in the news cycle for a while now um because of the accidental um at least allegedly accidental discharge of the gun that that killed um a member of his set, which is incredibly incredibly sad um I just wanted to talk a little bit about the conservative response that I had seen on Twitter. And this isn't really the response of the pundits so much as the response of just the lay people on Twitter, just the regular, regular people's responses. Um, because it's. I think it's important, I think it's important and I'll, I'll explain why. So, um, Mr. Baldwin is just not a particularly nice dude He's been known to have said some horrible things about cops who have accidentally um, or had to shoot somebody in their line of work. Um, he has said uh, he's been pretty firmly against uh, the right to, to own guns, and he just generally had a bunch of tweets that did not age well um, in light of his, in light of the incident um, where he he fired a gun and killed someone on set. And the thing is that whenever something like this happens, whenever we hear a story that has a bare bones amount of details, when it's unclear whether a crime has been committed, it's easy to insert our preconceived ideas about somebody or preconceived ideas about the world. And decide that we know exactly what happened and how justice should be meted out in that situation. And so people looked at the situation and said, oh, we hate Alex ba- Alec Baldwin. We hate what he stands for. We don't like what he said. Therefore, he's a murderer and probably he even did this on purpose. And I, I heard a lot of people on Twitter suggesting that um, it may have been purposeful or, um, at least more fishy than the story sounded. And and I'm not saying it's not okay to raise questions, um, and and theorize about what might have happened, but this is exactly what Black Lives Matter does. And we critique it when they do it, so I'm gonna critique it when we do it. Is when something like this happens, it is not our job as the person who read a two paragraph news story, to be the judge, jury, and executioner in the situation, Um, it is not our job to immediately decide that he committed murder and that he must go to jail. In the same way that it is not the Black Lives Matter activist's job to look at a situation where a cop shot somebody and say, yep, we already know it's because the cop is racist and he... He has to go to jail, and justice has to be served without even seeing the body cam footage, without even um, hearing the rest of the details, waiting for the rest of the details to come in. And its it doesn't matter what your political position is. It's, it's not right, it's not correct. do that you end up with a position that's not necessarily true and dogmatically yelling about something that's not necessarily true it is entirely possible whether or not we like Mr. Baldwin entirely possible that he was nearly innocent in the situation it's entirely possible that he had every reason to believe the gun in his hands was not real was not loaded And it's entirely possible that he was uh, shooting at the camera for the shot itself. Um, That he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing in the situation. And that it was an error on the part of the weapons master giving him a hot gun accidentally. It's entirely possible that a bunch of people made some really fatal errors. And that doesn't mean that... Um, Mr. Baldwin and or the weapons um, the person in charge of the props, the weapons props for this movie shouldn't uh, face a manslaughter charge at least. Um, we don't know um, and we, and we won't know for a while until the investigation is complete. And so the people yelling on Twitter about about Mr. Baldwin, I would just encourage a little, to take a few steps back and to say, we don't know. Just because we don't like someone doesn't mean they're a murderer. Um, Bad things do happen uh, for almost no reason at all sometimes. And in the same way that a cop can kill someone and there could be, it could either have been a complete accident, a fair accident, or a justified reason, um, that they had to, they had to, uh, shoot. In any of these situations, regardless of what your political position is, I encourage you to take a couple steps back, wait for the evidence to come in, and wait for the investigations to conclude. And then, when everything is out, then absolutely have an opinion about, about it. You don't have to blindly trust the system, but I do encourage a little bit more humility and a little bit more thought um, about these these things. So I, I was pretty disappointed with how ugly conservative Twitter got about this particular case. Um, in a lot of areas, I see conservatives doing the very same things that those on the left do. And it's like, if, if it's wrong when the left does it, um, it's wrong when we do it. And if we do the exact same things that they do, then then we're not the good guys. There's a, if you're going to be the good guy, you have to act like a good guy. Um, you can't... There has to be a distinction. Or we're just all bad. And neither <laughs> neither group of us deserves the country. If we're not the good guys, do we really deserve the country to be saved for us? Is a question I've thought a lot about lately. So, leaving that... I have two items of entertainment to review. The first is a book called Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. Horror Store is a short horror novel set, not in Ikea, but in a store that very, very strongly resembles Ikea. And I I don't necessarily recommend this book wholeheartedly. I would give it a four out of five stars, and I can't say a whole lot about it without spoiling it. I didn't agree with all of its philosophical underpinnings, but I did find it incredibly fascinating. Um, it, It has some pretty strong critiques of how retailers, especially retailers like IKEA, specifically designed their stores to create disorientation, to create, um, that, that sort of confusion that encourages you to buy more than you otherwise would. Some of those psychologically sneaky ways of, of, uh, getting money from people. Um, so a critique of that, but also a genuinely scary book, at least for me, I don't read a lot of horror, so I get scared pretty easily, but It was, uh, it was, I thought it was pretty intense. Um, kind of a a story that spirals through the store in the way that, that, that you have to spiral through an Ikea in order to get out. Um, and I had never been to an Ikea before I read this book. So I purposely timed it, um, where I read the book and then I had a gift card that had been given to, me for my wedding a couple years ago that I still hadn't uh, used yet and so I read the book and then I went to a local Ikea and uh, enjoyed the the scariness of it (laughs) Um, that had kind of been suggested by the book and I I could really see it I could see why that store inspired um, that type of horror novel so that's a that's, like an, that's an experience I suggest. If you like horror and you like Ikea, read Horror Store and then go to Ikea. And uh, that's kind of how I celebrated the Halloween season this year. Um, for me, Halloween is... I was raised to believe it was an evil holiday and a celebration of, of evil and fear. And now I... The way that I celebrate it now is not a celebration of fear, but... Um, a confrontation of fear, um, and a celebration of the triumph of light over darkness. And there's a lot of different ways you can approach Halloween, um, and I think there's a lot of valid ways you can approach Halloween, including cutting it out of your life entirely. I completely respect that position. But for me, reading this book and going to Ikea was a really fun way to um, tackle Halloween this year, so... And I, I just have a lot of things that I'm afraid of as a person. So it's, it's good. I think it's good for me, uh, spiritually, to have a holiday where I try to tackle some more of my fear and ask myself, why does this scare you, and uh, what, how do you approach this in a, in a more mature way, in a healthier way. So that's that. And then my last thing for you is that last night I watched Dune. Now, I had already read the book Dune by Frank Herbert. And uh, it is, it's what you would call a cold sci-fi. And that it's, it's very, very technical. It's not particularly, it's not the kind of story that would be written today. Um, It's, it's a little bit more, cold and distant and removed but it is also incredibly thought-provoking the story and um, the movie was incredibly well done it was very faithful to the book um, including the jarring way that the part one ends is faithful to the to the book and um very visually impressive and thought-provoking so I do recommend seeing that I saw it on HBO Max just because uh of what I'm going through in my life right now. I just didn't feel like being out in public at a movie theater, but the visuals are such that you really should see it in a movie theater. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye and leave you. Um, I hope you have a good week and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. Thank you so much for being here with me. I am recording today from a red state. Uh, we flipped Virginia red, you guys, and I would say a lot more people are um, to thank for that than just people who live and vote in Virginia. Um, the whole country really rallied behind getting the word out um, and participating in the conversation about why Youngkin was a better choice than McAuliffe, um, and for all the reasons why. And it was not just a really wonderful feeling to win, but it was also a really wonderful feeling to win the way that Glenn Youngkin won. It was such a clean campaign. Um, Glenn was just above reproach the entire time. He did not feel the need to insult Terry McAuliffe. He, he didn't feel the need to be ugly to say shocking and brash things. Um, Glenn is such a pure presence. Now, I don't know what he's like in his regular life. He could be an absolute asshole, but, um, he really comes across as an, a kind, a kind gentleman, a a true gentleman. And, um, I think that that's why he won. Ultimately, I think it came down to him being an incredibly decent human being and the type of person that um, you would want to trust with running your state. Now, I'm not saying that's the type of politician we need everywhere and at all times because uh, different locations are different. I don't know if a man like Glenn could win, say, New Jersey. Um... Or or Florida, different different places um, have different needs as far as what uh, type of personality uh, is going to be in charge, and and it remains to be seen, of course, how well Glenn will do as a governor, um, if he'll be strong or if he'll um, be milk toast. So we're going to find out. But the point is that that he won, uh, and he won without being even a little bit like Trump, and. This is not going to be a podcast just bashing on Trump, hating on Trump, but I do want to talk about Trump significantly on this podcast. Um first I want to I want to go back. I want to go all the way back to 2015. Um back then I was I was a solid eh, solid to maybe questioning a little bit. Uh, conservative. I definitely had some frustrations with conservatives as far as um, hypocrisies that I saw mostly within the Christian conservative community as as opposed to conservatives at large. But for the most part, I was a solid conservative and I was absolutely going to be voting for uh, Republican candidates across the board whenever I had the chance to vote. Um, I wasn't old enough to vote um, for or against, as the case may be, Obama in his last run. So the 2016 election was my first presidential election that I was able to vote in. Um, and I was able to vote in that primary. Now, at the time, I remember thinking, uh, Trump has a chance, that that if anyone could beat Hillary, uh, it's it's Trump. But at the same time, um, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like his character. Um, and when I say that, I, I don't want you to hear, I didn't like his character as defined by mainstream media. Or I didn't like what I heard about him. No, I didn't like what I heard coming out of his own mouth. I didn't like what he presented um, in a lot of ways. I knew that I agreed with him um, on most things, but I didn't like him and, uh, his character made me uncomfortable. So I did not vote for him in the primary. Um, I don't even, I think I voted for Rubio, but I, I genuinely don't remember. It's been so long. Um, but, but when the 2016 election came around, um, I, I would say I held my nose and voted for Trump. It, I, at the time I felt like it was a pretty awful, awful choice. Um, As as a woman who has been sexually assaulted, it was it was difficult for me to vote for a man who who talks about women um, and has a history with women that that Trump does. And that's, that's, not regarding any of the like the stormy daniel's accusation that's that's not really taking those into account because it's it's unclear whether those were were real or not but just the things that that came out of his his own mouth um and things that that were visible in in video um of, of how he conducts himself with women and and um his connection with pageants and, and things like that, it, it made me uncomfortable. So I held my nose. I voted for him. And I was, I was happy. Um, I was happy that he won, of course, because I was happy to have a Republican in office. I thought this isn't the best of all scenarios. This is not who I would pick as my president. But we have a we have a Republican president who's going to be able to fill SCOTA seats awesome. And uh, for the first several years of or for the first three years of his presidency up until 2020, I really warmed to Donald Trump and I warmed to him because of his actions. But Trump's words always made it hard. His tweets, his sound bites. Again, I don't watch mainstream media. So I wasn't judging Trump by what mainstream media said about him. I only judge Trump based on how he presented himself. And, uh, he, he's a hard pill to swallow. He really is. Um, especially if, if you're, um, a a Christian and you value things that the Bible values in a leader like wisdom and, um, humility, um, you know, the concept of, of guarding your tongue of, um. You know, avoiding giving giving offense if possible, um, making peace, living at peace with people. Um, and I think that conservatives, in an attempt to compensate for how awful the media was being to Trump, took a position that was just an equal op- and opposite reaction to the media's position. The media's position was um, – A very exaggerated Trump is evil, orange man bad, that exaggerated position. And so conservatives, rather than arguing for the truth and trying to argue a true position, just took the equal and opposite reaction to orange man bad, which it turned into orange man Jesus. And I talked to, I've talked to so many people in the last four years who absolutely refuse to admit that Trump has flaws, who who get angry, if you suggest that Trump has flaws, who treat you like a liberal or a a rhino, if you suggest that Trump has flaws. But it's true that Trump has flaws. And it should never be you can't be the party of, of truth, you can't be the party of personal responsibility um, if you are unwilling to admit when somebody has flaws. Now, admitting that Trump has some some flaws does not mean that you don't support him. It doesn't mean that you don't vote for him, that you don't donate to his campaign, that you don't tweet positive things about him on Twitter, but it does mean that you're being honest um, and that you are siding with truth. I don't think it helped us conservatives at all to essentially lie and pretend that Trump was a better person than he than he was and that he is. Um, I know people who voted for Trump in 2016 who didn't vote for him in 2020. Because of how he conducted himself while in office. People who would absolutely vote red. And who generally vote red. Uh, who couldn't bring themselves to do it. And who instead voted for a third party. Now I, I don't agree with that. I think voting for a third party is, is throwing away your vote. But the way that they explained it to me was that. And, and this is. I want to say this is between 3 and 5 people that I'm thinking of right now. Uh just close friends of mine who who didn't vote for Trump. And and they said that it violated their conscience, that they that they could not um with their conscience and with their faith vote for somebody who uh as a leader who so went against the Bible's description of of what a leader ought to be. Um with that Humility with with guarding the tongue with with wisdom and and I respect that i can't I can't tell anybody that they have to go against their conscience and so what we ended up with was a president who who beat Hillary I mean a man who beat hillary which is which is amazing and we we had a man so brash that he really woke up the whole country and and I think we we needed that. Um, and I, I don't regret Trump's presidency. I don't, I don't think it should never have happened. I'm not suggesting we should have elected Marco Rubio or, or Ted Cruz. Um, I'm not suggesting any of that. But let's say you, um, you are out cold you are You are sleeping incredibly heavily, and and people can't wake you up by by speaking or by touching your shoulder they you're just in such a deep sleep they have to dump cold water over your head now that's necessary that bucket of cold water in that situation is necessary, and Trump was that bucket of cold water um, but i don't want to be woken up by a bucket of cold water every morning. I only want to be woken up by a bucket of cold water when it's necessary. <laughs> Um, now, that, now that we're awake, I, I would prefer an alarm clock candidate like Glenn Youngkin, um, someone who is, at least appears to be at this time, a man of humility and wisdom uh, and steady leadership, uh, who is likable and, and beyond reproach. Someone that the media is going to find a really hard time finding ammunition against. Um, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, make it hard for them to hate us. They're going to hate us. Don't get me wrong. They're going to find things to insult us with. But Trump gave the media tons of juicy ammunition And that's why they were able to mobilize so many people in hatred against him is because uh, it was really easy to stick an insult to him. It was really easy to stick a criticism to him because he said so many genuinely awful things Um, because Trump has no guard over his tongue. Um, And he, he also... Uh, was incredibly unwise with with the types of people he surrounded himself with. I mean, he, General Mark Milley, Anthony Fauci, and these are people that, or, absolutely should not be in positions of power. And Trump was in a position where he could have ensured that they weren't. Uh, and in, he didn't. He he allowed them to gain uh, influence in this country. I don't think we should blindly trust anyone, um, any human leader. I think that they should always be subject to criticism, whether they're our party or the other party. Um, this whole idea that every Democrat is a demon and every Republican is an angel is insane and, and not healthy for our country. We need to be in a position where we can honestly evaluate candidates, even if we vote for them. Um, So now that America's awake, I, I don't think we need to keep feeling like we need Trump. I He's a 75-year-old man. Uh, he's going to be even older in 2024. Um, and he's a very, very tough pill for a lot of people to swallow, a lot of good people to swallow. Um, and I think that that was evidenced in the 2020 election. I, I'm not denying that there was voter fraud. I, I think we've we've proven that there was significant um, fraud. But at the same time, there were lots of ballots, um, and you can see this in the data. There were lots of ballots where everything else read down the ballot. Every other Republican except Trump was voted for on the ballot. People who vote red went. And cast their votes not for Trump. And I think that that's significant. Um, I don't know if if the fraud would have been enough to tip the election. But I think that it would be healthy for the Republican Party to operate as if he did lose. And let me tease that out a little bit. So two things can be true at the same time. Thing number one is that fraud happened and we need to chase down fraud and do our absolute best in every state and every precinct to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. That's absolutely true and and without question. That election integrity is incredibly important um, and, and we have to restore faith in election integrity. So. We need to pass the laws we need to pass, we need to be volunteering to be poll watchers and to to create that accountability on local levels. So that is that is true. It is also true that especially as the party of personal responsibility, we it's not healthy for our party to just blame this election losing twenty twenty election on voter fraud. I don't think Trump won by a landslide. I think it's possible that he won by a little bit and lost it because of voter fraud. I think it's also entirely possible and even probable that even with the fraud, uh he lost. And he lost because of his own his own mouth, um his own his own actions, um his own lack of wisdom, his handling of the coronavirus. Um he I mean he locked the country down, he he did that, um, and he he gave Fauci a stage, um, and he gave Fauci and the CDC so much room to tyrannize over this country, um, and he ended up when he. When he lost office, he left us in a bad place. He left us in a place where Biden was able to reverse the majority of what he had done, almost overnight. And he left us with a couple SCOTUS nominees that are um, that are not what we hoped that they would be. Um, at least they don't appear to be. They, they're refusing to hear cases. They're refusing to even hear cases, much less deciding them um, in the way that that we had hoped. So I'm not I'm not here to to just bash Trump up and down. I am really thankful that he woke up the country, that he got people involved in politics who had never been involved before. Um, By the way, he got Democrats involved who had never been involved before, too. He inspired people on both sides of the aisle to participate um, in, in civics, in, in, in voting, um, and that cut both for and against him in, in all honesty. So I think that in order to move forward as a party, we need to be honest. Whenever we elect a man like Trump, we need to be honest that we are electing someone with flaws instead of just screaming, um, and denying that he, um, is a tough pill to swallow. And and we're not, we're not electing a preacher. But when we're not electing a preacher, we need to be honest that we're not electing a preacher. Um, I think any any situation in which you're overcompensating for someone else's negative view, um, you're not living in a place of, of truth and that's always going to hurt you. Uh, and I, and I, I come back to Glenn Youngkin that we, we didn't have to defend him. There was nothing to defend. He never did anything that we had to defend. Um, he just presented himself in an in incredibly winsome way. Um, without being weak, um, he, he tackled the culture wars, which is a huge part of why he won. He wasn't afraid to go after things, but he did it in a winsome way that was impossible nearly impossible to dislike. And certainly impossible to dislike in any kind of honest way. Um, and I, I really do think we need more of that. Um, Governor DeSantis is the same way. He's he's even more um, brash, if that's even the right word, than Yunkin is, but he's also incredibly winsome. He doesn't say uh, offensive things. He doesn't mock people or put them down. He doesn't uh, insist on surrounding himself with people who will uh, tell him everything he wants to hear. He's he's a good leader, Governor DeSantis is. Um, I'd like to see him become president at some point. Um, I know that Florida wants to keep him for a while longer. And I understand the argument that says we really need good men as governors, and we don't want to just always move them over to presidential candidates. And I, I completely understand that. Um, but we need more, we need more good men in power oh, everywhere. And I hear a lot of people saying, I, I don't vote, because there's always just two terrible people running against each other. And what's the point? And the point is that, that most people, uh, Trump, is an exception and Glenn Youngkin is also an exception most people don't just run out of the blue most people start by running for city council and then they run for state legislature and then they run for the house or the, the, the governorship of their state um, they, they work their way up slowly so if you want good people to be running at those higher levels for those higher offices you have to vote For those lower offices, you have to vote in the school board elections, the city council elections, the state legislature elections. Those are the ones that help determine uh, what kind of candidates you're going to get farther along. And um, it it also significantly helps when you donate to the campaign of someone you can really get behind, someone you really believe in. Um, I think Republicans lost a lot of hope because we didn't see the needle moving very quickly. Uh, and all of a sudden, we saw the mo- needle move in a big way, and um, in Virginia in particular, but but across the country, this this particular election, we saw the needle move. And it's always going to be significant, even when we don't win, like in New Jersey. Uh, it's significant when we see a big shift uh, in the right direction, and I think we should celebrate that too. We can celebrate the times when we didn't win, but we almost did, um, and when there was progress in the right direction. And I think we got to keep working on that. I think everyone in this country should should move on from making everything about Trump. I think we should make it about the actual policies and the actual social issues. Um. But above all, we need to get out and vote because it does it does mean something. So with that, I'm gonna leave you. Uh, see you later. See you on Twitter. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. Happy Veterans Day, and uh, thank you for your service, any and all veterans who listen to this podcast. I hope you had a good day today. I had the day off work, which was lovely. I went to go see The Eternals, the new Marvel movie with my husband, and it was pretty good. Seven, I'd give it a seven out of ten. Um, good... Good start to a new uh, era, I, I think, in the Marvel Universe. So, if you like that sort of thing, go check it out. Today I want to talk about the Rittenhouse trial. And um, if you haven't been watching Kyle Rittenhouse's trial, I strongly encourage you to do so. There's there's a lot of hours of content there, but um, if you don't, If you don't have the time to watch the whole thing, I'd encourage you to watch um, clips, um, but not necessarily, just be careful where you get your clips from, um, because you can obviously edit sound in such a way as to tell a certain narrative, which is exactly what mainstream media is doing. Um, It's really astounding to me how many people still think Kyle uh, is a murderer, and that that absolutely comes down to the way that mainstream media is covering the trial and has been covering the incident since the very beginning. So if you don't, if you don't know, um, and during the summer of 2020, during, during the riots, uh, when cities across the nation were burning, a young man named Kyle, uh, 17 years old at the time, um, a lifeguard and uh firefighter cadet had some basic, basic, um, medical training, and just generally the kind of dude who wants to help his community. Had gone out that night with his, with some friends and with some uh, friends of friends. Uh, He had an AR-15 that technically he wasn't supposed to have under Wisconsin law. Um, The law is a little bit fuzzy as far as whether minors can, can possess a weapon he was allowed to use it but he wasn't allowed to own it so a little messy there but he was out um on the property of a CarMax I think is what it's called um trying to trying to guard that property one of the one of the franchises of that particular business in that town had had been burned down the previous night so he and his friends were trying to help the owners out to protect the remaining buildings. And while he was on that property protecting it, um, he saw need elsewhere down, down the street. Um, he saw fires here and there to put out. He saw people who needed medical help. So he had his AR-15 um, in a sling and then he had his, his medical pack. And he had his fire extinguisher and some items like that, and he was basically running around, trying to trying to keep things from burning down and trying to help people. And he had treated multiple people for um, small small um, either injuries or, or other issues that night, and he had put out several small fires when he was um, allegedly uh, attacked by, by Mr. Rosenbaum, uh, first. And uh, Mr. Rosenbaum happens to be, happened to be a serial child rapist. Um, according to video footage, um, ran at Kyle, grabbed his gun, at which point Kyle shot him four times. Um, and, and when Kyle relived that moment, that's the moment you may have seen clips of where he kind of breaks down on the stand. And when I saw that clip, a lot of people were reacting to it as if Kyle was sad or, or trying to fake sadness. And what I saw in those moments on the stand where he was trying to relive just entering that memory to try to to tell about it, to testify about it, what I saw was just the sheer panic of reliving that trauma in, um, in front of a lot of people. Um, he, he just, he, he's otherwise incredibly calm on the stand, but, but right in that moment uh, on the stand, Kyle really, he basically had a panic attack and the judge, um, called for a break. And after the break, he came back and he, he delivered his testimony just fine. But that was, that was difficult to watch. And it was difficult to watch the reactions of people who, um, just don't believe, just don't believe that Kyle, Kyle's emotion is real. Um, and just insistent on believing that this, this kid is, um, just an evil, evil person. And I and I want to get to that a little bit later, but um a- after Kyle shot Mr. Rosenbaum, he then uh decided to turn himself into the police. He had just just shot somebody. Um and, and he decided to turn himself in. So he went and he found he went in the direction of where he knew police would be and he was um pursued um and at a little bit later point he uh someone caught up to him I don't remember the name of of the people who did but essentially started kicking him kicking him in the face hitting with him with a skateboard stuff like that so the video footage shows he get he's kind of down on his knees and from that position getting attacked physically he shoots a few more shots uh and kills one additional person and then wounds one additional person um uh and then he he goes he turns himself into the police and um he doesn't get arrested for for quite a bit longer he spends quite a while um not not cuffed just trying to turn himself in trying to because the police that night were were stretched very very thin um, so in the, in the trial, uh, Kyle did testify, which I think just takes an incredible amount of courage for, for anyone charged with murder to testify. Um uh, we saw earlier this year, Derek Chauvin did not testify in his trial. And, um, I think, I think Kyle did a really good job. He's, he's 18 years old now. Um, he's, he's very matter of fact. Um, he has a lot of a lot of dignity. Um, just tells it like it is. Says. I, I would encourage you to, to, to watch it. He, he does his best to give all the details. I, I can't imagine being in a position like that. Trying to recall the events from over a year before. In such detail. And uh, in those circumstances. But uh, And then on, on the cross-examination. Um, Mr. Mr. Binger, who is the lawyer, um, for the prosecution. So the lawyer against Kyle asked a line of questioning that I thought was really interesting and concerning. Um, and it had to do with questioning why Kyle felt like it was his, his job, why he felt like he had a right to be going down the street, putting out fires and helping people and like if you see a fire you should you should do something about it and the thing is that that night EMS fire department police they were all stretched incredibly thin now that that's not to say that people should have taken the police's jobs into their hands and become vigilantes or anything like that um there are lines you you cannot cross but it was, we needed more Kyles. During, during 2020, we needed more Kyles. We needed more people running around putting out fires, running around helping people. I think the mistake that Kyle made, and when I say mistake, I don't mean criminal offense. I mean error. I mean mistake. Kyle made was trying to help people with an AR-15. Now, I, I understand why he had it. Um, that's the gun that he the gun that he had, the gun that his friend had been holding for him until he turned 18. Um, uh, a handgun for self-defense would have been more practical in that situation, but that's not the gun he had. He had an AR-15. And even Kyle will admit, and did admit, on the stand, that, that the gun got in his way when he was trying to help people. Um, it he He had to work around it um, to try to to treat people, to try to put out fires. And I think that that's something to examine and to take away. There's There's a difference between defending your right to own a weapon and having kind of defining yourself by that weapon, building your identity on gun ownership. And... There's a certain type of vibe that you give off if you're running down the street with an AR-15. Regardless of your heart, regardless of your intention, you don't look like a friendly person if you're running down the street with an AR-15, especially in the middle of a riot. And and Kyle got himself in a position where, despite having a heart to help the community, as far as I – that's my opinion from his testimony – he didn't look friendly as he was running down the street with this AR-15. Now, that's not to say that it's his fault that he was attacked. We we don't know and we'll never know uh, what would have happened if Kyle had been out there without a gun, if he would have been left alone or if he would have been killed. Um, it does seem pretty clear that because he had the gun, he became a bit more of a target for a certain type of people um a certain type of bad people who were out there and um but if he hadn't fired um and stopped the attacks that were coming at him he he probably be dead by now and that's his that's his opinion at least is that he would be dead if he hadn't if he hadn't fired and that's that's his whole case that it was self defense so regardless of how Kyle is judged um by by his jury, I do think it's important to take away, and I hope that Kyle takes away, um, some wisdom as far as the way that we operate with our weapons in in today's society. Um, responsible gun ownership is essential for the continued... Um, the more people who responsibly own and handle guns in this country, the more likely we are to be able to keep our keep our right to have them. Um, and the more people who who are unwise uh, with how they use their guns, um, the more fuel the left will have um, in the in the fight against the Second Amendment. And I don't think that Kyle has done the Second Amendment any favors. Now, I'm not saying it's a 17-year-old kid's job to do the Second Amendment favors, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. That there's a good chance Kyle wouldn't be in this position if he hadn't thought it was a good idea to go out into a riot, um, into a really hostile crowd with an AR-15. There are... It, it's a it's a complex issue, and these are complex times. And I'm certain having people with guns guarding a building is a strong deterrent against attacking that building. But at the same time, um, it's not necessarily within your right under most law, uh, if not all American law, to defend um, property, with lethal force, so it's it's tough. And while defending your property is is a strong instinct, and while people who attack other people's property are evil, <laughs> uh, taking human life is no small thing. And Kyle is going to have to live for the rest of his life with the fact that he took two human lives. And despite that being self-defense, that's going to still be a tough thing to live with. And I, I don't know how I would do it if I was in his position that that's awful. That I mean, soldiers, soldiers in war have to deal with the same thing, that they have taken life under completely just circumstances. They still have to live with the fact that they've killed somebody um, and, and what that does to the human soul to kill somebody. And that's. That's tough. So I hope that as we, as conservatives, are watching these proceedings and watching Kyle's trial in the same way that we did when we watched Derek Chauvin's trial uh, for, for the George Floyd killing, that we learn the lessons that we can from it. The the trials, both trials, have become heavily, heavily politicized. But that doesn't mean that we can't take a nuanced view and say, okay, how do I, as a good citizen, good upstanding citizen, good upstanding cop, good upstanding member of my community, um, not get into a situation like this? Um, we could see some ways in which Derek Chauvin could have been a better cop, uh And handled the situation differently to avoid uh the trouble he got into and i I think that there are there are ways that Kyle could have avoided his um his situation as well um but I do have so much compassion for him, and I do think that he absolutely deserves to be acquitted on the grounds of self defense and um the other thing I think is of note about Kyle is that his parents are divorced, um, and his dad is dad is living in Kenosha, and his mom is is over in Antioch, um, and so he he was divided between those two communities. So even though his legal residence was Antioch, he he felt like he was a member of the community of of Kenosha, and and ultimately, if a seventeen year old kid is running around in the middle of a riot with an AR fifteen, that. That falls on his parents' head. He's Obviously, there's there's some lack of, of oversight there as well. And I think that had his father been more present in the situation, um, he's he's nowhere in the story. His father is, is nowhere in the story. Had nothing to do with helping him get the gun. Had nothing to do with him being there that night. Um, fatherlessness really does affect our, our culture and our nation and our kids in a massive way. And just not having families together. Um, we see a lot of, see a lot of brokenness in, um, the, the generation, the, the next generations. I see a lot, a lot of kids, um, who are just obviously, obviously broken. I live in Loudon County or I I'm sorry. I I live in West Virginia, but I work in Loudoun County and I I'm most of the time I'm in Loudon County. And I see so so many kids who are clearly um either trans or non-binary or or somewhere in there. Uh, just a lot a lot of brokenness in that generation and I think that that has a lot to do with broken homes and fatherlessness. I think it has a lot to do with, um, sexual assault. I, and, and now I have, I've started to really change the subject away from, from Kyle, but I think that when we when you see a generation of children who are so sexually confused, so confused about their gender identity, so terrified to identify as a woman, so terrified to um, show any gender to to be anything but kind of a a mysterious genderless <laughs> Um, I don't want to say blob. That's the word that my brain is trying to feed me, but kind of trying to erase themselves, um, particularly the the gendered sexual part of themselves, trying to erase that. And um, I think that you don't have that without massive amounts of sexual abuse going on in those in those lives. That's a common reaction to sexual assault or at least sexual abuse of some sort, whether that's verbal or or physical, you get kids who are terrified to admit that they're their gender. Um, and that's not always what it is. Sometimes it's peer pressure um, brought on by every other kid in their class being, being trans or non-binary, but I think that's something to consider as we as we look at Kyle's situation and as we look at other situations like it that the next generation of kids is really really broken and if we have any hope of saving our nation we have to help them we can't sit here and mock them we can't sit here and um and hate on them and blame them they've been broken since at least middle school (laughs) Um, problems like that, uh, gender identity issues like that don't just pop up overnight. Um, kids don't just randomly decide to run around outside in the middle of a riot with an AR-15. There are things that happen earlier on that lead to this brokenness. And I'm not saying that Kyle is stupid or incredibly broken, but there is a lack of I think it's fair to say that there was a lack of wisdom in him that night in the way that he handled himself, even though he helped a lot of people and even though his heart was in the right place, I, I wish that things had been different for him and that somebody had told him, um, told him a better way, given him some advice to keep him from, from being where he was that night, um, with, with that gun, so... You know, if if he had had some other way of defending himself that was a little bit less um, threatening, I, I I suppose. But I think that compassion is a fair response to the brokenness of a generation. I I know that it's difficult for uh, us as conservatives to even know how to respond to some of the depravity of our culture because it's just so far past what we thought, how bad we thought it could get. And we see TikToks from libs of TikTok, or we see clips here and there of people just being absolutely crazy and absolutely insane and, um, just pretending to be something that they're not. Um, but I think the response should be compassion and there's obviously a root issue. There's obviously, you're not going to fix somebody like that by going up to them and telling them what gender they really are, um, in the same way that if somebody thinks he's Napoleon, um, who's mentally insane, insists he's Napoleon, you're not going to fix him by going up to him and telling him he's not Napoleon. That's not going to help. In fact, in, in mental hospitals where you have a person like that, the the orderlies and the doctors, they just call him Napoleon. They just go along with it because the issue that they're trying to treat is much deeper than that surface level. And so I'm not saying we have to go around and respect everyone's pronouns, because um, I think that there's a there's some danger to just caving to the demands, uh, the pronoun demands. But at the same time, um, people who are genuinely gender dysphoric, it isn't helpful to give them a speech about how they are a different, how they are their birth gender. There are much deeper issues in them that need to be solved. And a stranger certainly isn't going to solve it. And they need people in them, their lives who love them, who can help them work through whatever trauma created their confusion um, and help help them back to, to the truth and the light. And that that's a long, hard road. For, for anybody who's in that position, that's a long, hard road, especially if they've medically transitioned. So I do think there's a lot of compassion that, that needs to be Given to those situations, I think anytime you see somebody like that, just pray, just pray for them, um, and just leave them alone if you if you can. Um, yelling at them that they are n- not a not a woman or not a man is not. It's just gonna encourage them to dig deeper into their position, um, so there's a lot going on in our world and a lot of ways that we can make it worse without without realizing it um, so any time you run into something that's, that's gross or is something culturally you disagree with I'd encourage you to ask yourself if there's a way that you can be loving and compassionate in a way that you address it Obviously, if you have to protect your kids, if you have to make some sort of political stand, fair enough. But I do see so many conservatives, especially online, but in person as well, just making things so much worse with just the the hatred um, with which we combat things. Hatred is not a winning strategy. Even if they're wrong, um, hatred is just not any type of way forward. So with that, I am going to leave you. I encourage you to watch Kyle's trial. And, um, it's, it's some good drama and I'm, I'm praying for, for Kyle and, and for a good outcome for him and a good path forward for him as he moves on with his life. So, all right. I will see you later. I'll see you on Twitter hello and welcome to another episode of daily american presses chatting with abby it is veterans day so happy veterans day thank you to everyone who served everyone anyone who's listening who is a veteran thank you so much for your service and for your sacrifice and um, everything that you have given to this country of your time of your body all of that thank you so much um We are a nation who has never been very good at taking care of our war heroes, but is increasingly bad at, um, not just respecting, but also helping to facilitate the healing of people who paid terrible costs, uh, in, in protection of the United States. So thank you so much. I hope you had a good day today. I was fortunate to get the day off work, which is the first day off I've had in a while. And kind of spent a lazy day at home with my husband for most of the day. And then we went out to see the new Marvel movie, The Eternals. And The Eternals is the start of a new era of the Marvel Universe and introduces a whole bunch of new characters, a whole new storyline. And I really... I enjoyed it. I, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. There were some elements that I wasn't a huge fan of, but I, I really liked the fresh characters. I really liked an, a new feel. I liked how deep it went into kind of the past and, and mythology and things like that. I thought it was a pretty good film. So if you like that sort of thing, I'd encourage you to get out and watch it. I know a lot of us have Marvel, uh, fatigue. So if you're, if you're just kind of done with the Marvel universe, I don't blame you if you don't want to see it, but I had a good time. So today on the show, I want to talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I want to talk about the media's reaction to it, Twitter's reaction to it. Um, my personal reaction to it. Um, And then I want to talk a little bit about fatherlessness in our culture. And that that should do it for tonight. So, Kyle Rittenhouse, if you don't know, back in the summer of 2020, uh, he was 17 years old. He was out on the street with an AR-15. His purpose for being out there in Kenosha County... Uh, Which was the community he worked in and the community his father lived in. But it wasn't really his community as far as his legal residence was elsewhere. It was in Antioch. But he felt like he was a part of the community. And his stated purpose for being there that night was to protect his community and serve his community. So he was out there with his gun for self-defense. And with medical supplies and firefighting supplies. So he... He wasn't a firefighter or an EMT. Uh, He did admit to having lied about being an EMT, but he he did have a pretty significant amount of first aid training. He'd been a lifeguard, um, and then he had a certain amount of fire training, even though he hadn't received a full fire certification. And I understand if you have a certain amount of first aid, it's easier to just say, I'm an EMT, even though that's not technically true. Um, If you're just trying to fire off an answer real quick as to what you're doing with a med bag. So I get it. I I think I would probably (laughs) say that same lie if I was in that position. Doesn't make it right, but I get it. Um, So he was out there with his gun and his medical supplies, putting out little fires, trying to guard a business, which he had met the owners of that night. Um, And he and a group of people were trying to guard that business property, one of the buildings of that business had burned down the previous night so they were all there trying to trying to protect their community ostensibly so the very first thing that kind of comes to mind outside of any type of criminal you know I'm not I'm not really up on the <laughs> ins and outs of Wisconsin law but the first thing that comes to mind is why is a 17 year old boy, uh, running around with an AR-15 in the middle of, of a riot? Um, who, who thought that was a good idea? Where are his parents? Um, that's not a wise thing to do. Now, that's not a criminal thing to do. You're, you're perfectly free to run around with an AR-15. Um, he, he wasn't old enough to own the gun legally, but he was, allowed to have it so he's not being charged uh, for possession of that weapon since the law is gray in that area technically his his friend owned that gun and had just lent it to him for that night um, be that as it may he's not being charged for it so that's kind of a moot point but that isn't isn't wise. To put yourself in a position like that out in the middle of a riot uh, carrying an AR-15 that you send a certain type of message uh, that you're hostile and you you may be treated as such. There's a way that even just bringing a gun or a knife to a situation can escalate it just by its presence there. And that doesn't mean you don't have a right to have a gun. That doesn't mean it's not necessarily a good idea to have some way to defend yourself. But it's a complex situation and I wish that someone had been there with Kyle who could have told him, eh, if your goal is to help people, maybe lose the gun. But I'm sure people listening to this will say, well, Abby, if he didn't have the gun, he'd be dead right now. So, and we don't know. We really don't know. But... I do think that one of the takeaways from this trial has to be, what what is a wise handling of a gun? Yes, we have the right to have it. Absolutely. And I understand the desire to kind of flaunt your weapon and, and show off your your um, exercise of the Second Amendment. And I also understand showing the weapon in the context of a deterrent, um... While they were guarding that property. Or just a deterrent for attacking your person. But obviously Kyle's weapon didn't deter people from attacking him. His weapon seemed to be what inspired people to attack him. uh, In my personal opinion. So that's just something to, to think about and talk about with regard to gun safety. But that night Kyle had his gun and... He ended up being attacked um, by a a young man named Mr. Rosenbaum. Uh, White man, by the way. Uh, Child rapist, serial child rapist, by the way. Um, Ran up to him, grabbed his gun, and Kyle shot him four times and he died. At which point, Kyle decided to turn himself into the police. So he went off down the street to try to find police to turn himself into. Police were stretched very, very thin that night. And on his way to try to turn himself in, he was attacked again by another group of people who uh, tried to kick him in the face, tried to hit him with a skateboard, did hit him, did hit him a couple times. And uh, the video footage shows that from the ground as they're attacking him, he fires uh, a couple more shots, one in kills, one additional person whose name I don't remember. And Wounds another person, Mr. Gage, I believe. At which point he continues to turn himself into the police. Um, horrible, horrible situation. You, the last thing that you want is to end up in a situation where you have to shoot somebody to save your life. That's... I hear a lot of people in person and on Twitter with a lot of bluster about what they would do and how they'd fuck somebody up or how they'd, you know, defend their property and this and that. But ultimately taking a human life is, is, is hard and it leaves a mark on your soul. Um, people who fought overseas, people who, who fought in war will tell you the same thing that, that killing people hurts you even when you have a hundred percent of a right to do it. It's a difficult thing, and Kyle's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. So he turned himself in, and then his case, because of the context of the protests and the riots and George Floyd's murder and all of these things, murder, killing, eh, it was ruled a murder, so I'm going to call it a murder, but that is debatable, Because of the context, uh, Kyle's situation was incredibly politicized and uh, people just decided with very, very little information um, that Kyle was a murderer straight up, that he shouldn't have been there and that he was a murderer and they didn't really care and still don't to this day care about hearing any more details, seeing any footage, finding out anything further about it. The number of people who refuse to watch the trial, refuse to do any research into the actual facts of the case, who will still go around insisting, yelling that Kyle is a murderer and deserves to rot in prison, um, is astounding to me because to me it's very, very difficult to actually watch the trial and come to the conclusion that Kyle is a murderer. From the very beginning, the prosecution... The prosecution started the trial, as the prosecution does, presenting their case against Kyle. Kyle hadn't even testified. The defense hadn't even gotten up to begin the defense before it was clear that there was no case against Kyle. And the mainstream media will not report that, right? Right. People who get their information from the mainstream media are going to continue to believe that Kyle is a murderer. And they're going to be really shocked when he probably gets acquitted. Um, and that's, that's rough. This is just another example of the way that the mainstream media absolutely twists the truth, if not outright lies, to further political ends. And right now Kyle is – Kyle's case is not about Kyle, Kyle's case is not about a kid who did or did not defend himself on the street somewhere. Kyle's case is about the politics of racism and the politics of the BLM protests and riots and the politics of gun ownership and and all of these things. All of these things are on trial along with Kyle, which makes the situation a lot tougher. And Kyle represents an idea that Forty percent perhaps of this country hates like really really hates, and you can see that hatred everywhere in how people have been reacting to clips that have come out of Kyle breaking down on the stand as he's testifying now, this kid that today is eighteen years old he It's clear from his testimony that he has a heart to help his community. He has that kind of sheepdog personality. Uh, If you don't know what I mean by that, I mean the kind of people who want to be firefighters, the kind of people who want to be EMTs, to be police officers, to help people, the kind of people who are our leaders in the hero types. And you see that in Kyle that night as he's running around and his primary objective that night, which he proved time and time again, and even a couple days before when he was washing graffiti, he had already up until, in those 17 years of life, had already lived a life of of serving his community, of giving time to his community, washing graffiti off of a high school a couple days before the incident, that night running around treating a lot of people for minor injuries, putting out several small fires. And Kyle himself will admit that his gun got in the way, that the fact that he was carrying a big AR-15 made it more difficult for him to help people. And I think that that's something to take away from this, that while... It's not a criminal thing that he had a gun. It probably would have been better for him had he not had it. Had he had something smaller to defend himself with, pepper spray, a knife, something like that, a smaller gun if he could have gotten his hands on one, but the AR-15 was really in his way. The AR-15 was a little bit of his enemy that night as he was trying to help people, but I feel for Kyle as somebody who really does care about human life, it seems, and really does care about his community to now have to live with having killed two people. And he really, uh, he he was very calm on the sta- stage. I would strongly encourage you to watch the whole trial. If But if you can't watch the whole trial, try to get uh, some time to watch at least part of Kyle's testimony. He's very calm throughout most of it sharing just matter of factly what happened doing his best to recall as many details as possible to help paint the picture of that night but when he got to the point where he had to start talking about the first attack and the first shots he fired he has a panic attack is what i would what i would call it there's a lot of people who have called into question the genuineness of his emotion and i think part of it is because they don't necessarily recognize a panic attack when they see one it it's it doesn't look quite right for crying cuz it's not crying um he's he's panicking he's he's struggling to breathe he's struggling to hold on to himself yes there are some tears involved but that's exactly <laughs> what i look like when i'm having a panic attack maybe not exactly i like to think i don't look quite that bad when i'm having a panic attack but I really felt for him and in that clip really, it made me cry because imagine being him and being in such a hostile environment where you know people will want you to rot in jail for this and having to relive the most traumatic moment of your life, trying to explain what happened and try to justify your actions in, uh, in defending yourself and, and trying to save your own life. And Kyle truly does believe that he would have died had he not fired those shots and i think that he's right he he would have died had he not fired those shots i personally think that he also wouldn't have died had he not had the gun at all cuz i don't think he would have been attacked but that's just conjecture and has no real bearing on the case because he had a right to have the gun so oh who knows what'll happen it seems pretty clear to anybody who's actually watching the case, actually watching the trial, actually looking at the evidence, actually watching the video, uh, coming into it with an open mind and having not already decided they know what happened. Seems pretty clear that he deserves to be acquitted on the grounds of self-defense. However, I also didn't think that Derek Shelvin deserved to get more than Manslaughter. I th- I thought he probably needed to get manslaughter. Um and even that even that is debatable. I've heard cases against him getting it charged at all and then said he should have walked free, but I I thought he would just get manslaughter, but they gave him all three counts. Um Derek Chauvin went down for all three counts of murder. So it's unclear whether Kyle, even if he deserves to be acquitted, will be acquitted. I hope and pray that he will be because uh, I, I do think he deserves to be. But if that happens, if he is acquitted, I think we can expect more protests and riots and more unrest. Um, I think the only possible saving grace is that it's not summer. It is getting colder out and so it's not going to be as much riot weather by the time we get to the end of this trial and and the ruling. So we will see what happens. I think I do think it's really interesting how the prosecution has been acting in this case. You may have seen clips online of the judge in this case really throwing the book at at the prosecution, really um, even raising his voice and yelling at the at the prosecuting attorney, Mr. Banger, a few times because this prosecuting attorney, despite being uh, an experienced attorney, has crossed some lines, some really obvious lines, and broken some really basic rules in his case against Kyle. And it really looks like, and the judge has communicated this it really looks like he's operating in bad faith that he knows exactly what he's doing he knows exactly why it's wrong but he's doing it because he thinks he can get away with it he's doing it because he thinks he can get away with it because he believes that the public is on his side because this is such a politicized trial so the defense has already moved for a mistrial, and we're going to see what happens with that. I don't think that it'll come down to that. I think that the judge knows that it really needs to to play out uh, for political reasons, but it's really scary to watch our, our justice system break down. And, and we've seen cracks in our justice system for a long time in various ways, but it is scary to see in both the Chauvin trial and this one, where the prosecution has just acted and really violated the defendant's rights in the way that they have pursued their case, so I am not enough of a i'm not aware enough of the law to be able to explain it more than that, but if you watch Kyle's testimony, you'll see those interactions with the judge and the prosecuting attorney, and they're very interesting. Now, I want to pivot a little bit away from the trial to fatherlessness. I had mentioned that I didn't think Kyle should have been out on the street with a gun that night. And that's that's something that, that your parents, your father, would help you see in, in what context it's it's a good idea to carry a gun, uh, to openly carry a gun, to openly carry a very big gun like that. And and Kyle's mother and father are divorced, and Kyle's father is nowhere to be found in this story other than just knowing that he lives in Kenosha. And it's sad that I think Kyle is a good kid, and in a lot of ways he reminds me of a lot of my husband, Um, but... It doesn't seem like he had somebody who could have told him that what he was about to do was a bad idea, was dangerous, could get him in in some sort of trouble, whether it was just, just danger or or trouble. And, and that's really sad. And I think that we see this across our nation. We see more and more kids, whether it's legal trouble or it's um, gender identity and confusion, sexual identity confusion. We see the effects of fatherlessness and broken homes and broken families across our nation. And it's easy to make fun of some of these people, particularly the ones that are just really flagrantly into the weird gender stuff. um, And using all sorts of strange pronouns and made up things. It's, It's easy to make fun of them. But I want you to consider... What it takes to break a generation like that, to produce a generation of kids that is that broken. And I see so many older people just blaming social media and then kind of walking away satisfied with that explanation. And I'm not satisfied with that explanation. Social media has hurt a lot of things and it's it's not the best influence in a lot of ways but it also creates a lot of good it's it's a double-edged sword but it it's not something that has created the pandemic of of trans and non-binary kids kids who are confused about their gender and sexual orientation and sexual expression have have Brokenness have trauma in those areas. I f- think it's fair to say that a huge percentage of those kids have been sexually abused, sexually assaulted, at least verbally, um, verbally, sexually abused in some way, um, taught really horrible things, not necessarily just in school, but also at home. And also just surrounded by similarly broken kids who are all trying to find their way, trying to find some sort of identity, desperately trying to feel okay in their own skin. And people who, I mean, the instinct of someone who hasn't been, hasn't experienced some sort of, of sexual trauma is just to be themselves, just to be a woman, just to be a man. You have to do something pretty severe in that person's life to make them question those basic facts about themselves. To make them question their basic biology and their basic genetic makeup. And I would encourage significantly more compassion in those situations. If we have a whole generation of really broken kids... And it's not going to help just to make fun of them. It's not going to help to just throw up our hands and be like, what is with all these really, really confused, really, really crazy people? Like we're not going to be able to help them or reach them if we don't have compassion and love for them and if we don't have a plan forward to help them find their way again. We need more good people in society. We need more good parents We need more good teachers. We need more good role models. And without that, even if we're able to save the nation for one more generation, we're just going to lose it in the next. And that's not a slam on young people. That's the people who are raising the young people are responsible for creating a generation who is able to to inhabit and lead a good nation and to be good citizens, and with each generation, I see more and more brokenness, and uh, more and more desperate situations, and kids who have no idea who they are, and no idea how to feel okay, no idea how to function, and instead are just wracked with depression and anxiety and, and identity confusion of all types, and it's really, really sad, and I don't have any answer for it. I. I know that God, I know that our nation needs God, and uh, I don't think there's a way forward without God. I don't think that there's a way to to save this nation without God. So I'll leave you that to think on. Uh, you have a good night, and I will see you on Twitter and see you next week on the podcast. Bye. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. I really hoped that there would be a verdict that I would be able to discuss with you today on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and that is just not the case. It is Friday morning, and we still do not have a verdict. But I do want to take this opportunity to discuss a few more things about the trial with you. I know I talked about the trial last week, so I won't do the whole episode on the trial, but there were just a couple things that I found concerning about the events surrounding the trial. And this is more about the rhetoric and the media behavior surrounding the trial. So, the most common thing I hear from people who think Kyle is guilty, the most common rhetoric that I hear is that he had no right to be there, he crossed state lines, he he was there looking for trouble um he had just just bringing the gun there was a bad thing and there's a there's a lot of problems with that rhetoric first of all this is america we can we can go wherever we want in america you can't attribute motive to someone and then convict them on that motive just based on the fact that they were a white kid who decided to be at a BLM riot for any reason at all. The attitude in that is that because he wasn't there to support BLM, that he had no right to be there. This is the first time in recent history that we've heard the left give a shit about any type of border, um, not our country's national border, it's it's crazy to me, especially as someone who lives near a state border and travels back and forth between states every single day, this idea that you don't have the right to cross a state border. I live in West Virginia, but I work in Virginia, so I cross that border every single day, and I consider myself part of the Loudoun County community where I work, and in the Bunker Hill, West Virginia where I, community where I live. Um, you are part of the communities you are active in daily. But even if Kyle had traveled 10 hours to be at that riot, he still would have had the right to be there as an American citizen. He would have had just as much right to be there as anybody who was there. Um, the two young men that he shot that night or two young men he killed three young men he shot that night traveled farther than he did to be there now they didn't cross a state line but they could traveled farther the argument is simply ridiculous and and very concerning that that we would even have rhetoric that would imply that an american citizen didn't have a full right to be anywhere in america at any given time And these things won't be said out loud. The The part about, oh, he, he shouldn't have been there will be said out loud. But the part where he shouldn't have been there because he was white and because he wasn't supporting Black Lives Matter. The only people who should have been there were the people supporting Black Lives Matter that night. He shouldn't have been putting out fires in the streets. Those things are... Are very barely being said out loud, um, because the minute you start to say that that quiet part out loud, that's when it the sheer ridiculousness of it becomes apparent. Now, even in the trial, I was surprised how much it was implied that Kyle shouldn't have been there, putting out fires, that he shouldn't have thought it was his job to to take on that responsibility of helping his community to put out fires to offer medical aid the idea that he he was stupid and out of line to put himself in that position and I think we're at the point where they want to defund the police and anybody who wants to step up and take on some of the responsibility in that gap is not going to be accepted they don't want anybody in that gap. They want to cause the destruction that they want to cause and they don't want anybody to stand in the way. And Kyle was the enemy that night and is the enemy today because he was trying to stop people from burning down his city, his town. He was trying to mitigate the damage that Black Lives Matter was causing and that's why he was attacked and that's why he's on trial. The other reason he's on trial is because he was carrying an AR-15, and this is the other concerning bit of rhetoric, that Kyle had that weapon, and because he had that weapon, because he came into that area carrying that weapon, people have decided that he's guilty, that he was looking for trouble, that the the existence of his AR-15 is evidence of his motive. And if Kyle can be convicted on that on the assumption that because he was carrying an AR15 he intended to kill people. He went there hunting people. If if he can be convicted on that, then AR15s are effectively made illegal. Because even though there's not a law against AR15s, so much motive has been attributed by Kyle, to Kyle in the media in particular and in a good portion of the public that so many people seem to think that they can assume his motive based on the fact that he had that gun in the first place. So if Kyle is convicted I would say it's not safe for anybody to be carrying a gun like that anywhere because chances are they're going to get they're gonna get um, in trouble for it and possibly put in jail for it and that's that's really scary the thought that someone be could be convicted by the media on a law that doesn't even exist now a lot of people have been saying that Kyle was a minor and wasn't allowed to be carrying the gun and my response to that is if that's true then he would be charged with that the reason he's not being charged with possession of a gun by a minor is because the law in Kenosha is so murky on that issue that they they couldn't hold him to it. The law essentially is, is written vaguely on purpose. You can't buy an AR-15 as a minor, but you can have it it's not illegal to have it and use it and Kyle had been using it for target practice and and things like that previously so that's why he's he's not being charged with it and um it shouldn't be used against him because not only not only is he not being charged with the with possession of a gun by a minor um, Kyle himself read the law to at least claim to have read the law to be that he was completely allowed to carry it. So trying to attribute motive to him based on the fact that as a 17-year-old he was carrying that gun is, again, ridiculous. And again, if he can be convicted on it, that that's a pretty terrible step in the wrong direction as far as our Second Amendment rights. Now, here's a quick note on Second Amendment rights, because I hear one piece of rhetoric against the Second Amendment that I hear constantly is, when our founding fathers wrote that, they had no idea that a machine gun could exist. They had no idea how many people you could kill in a row with, with an automatic rifle. They just meant muskets. And here's the thing. They said in the Second Amendment, they gave permission for people to own the wep- the highest level of weapon that they they knew about um the same level of weapon that the government owned and i think that that's that's the the real the real point there is that the point of the second amendment is that the citizenry can be armed to the same extent that the government is because any time throughout history that a government has been armed more heavily then the citizenry has had the right to own a much higher level of weaponry, then the citizenry bad things happen when you when the government has all these weapons and they they disarm their people, first they disarm their people, then they take away their freedoms because their people can't fight back. The point of the second amendment is a deterrent against the government to take away freedoms. That was written during a time when they had just experienced tyranny and our founding fathers were trying to write a document that would ensure that we would never fall under tyranny again. They were trying to create a government that would be safe against tyranny and to set up the types of checks and balances that would keep tyranny away. And a huge one of those checks was to allow the citizenry to be equally armed to the government as a deterrent to the government for stepping on them, treading on them. So that's just a note on that. Another thing about the the um, the rhetoric surrounding the Rittenhouse trial that's concerning is the sheer number of people who are willing to hold Joseph Rosenbaum, one of the young men that Kyle killed, up as a hero. Now, It is possible for somebody to be a bad person and still not deserve to die in a particular way. So I think Kyle is innocent um, because he was defending himself. However, even if he wasn't, and even if he was guilty of murdering Joseph Rosenbaum, it would still be wrong because of who Joseph Rosenbaum is to hold Joseph Rosenbaum up as some sort of hero and some sort of martyr in this society. It wasn't until recently that people realized that the two young men that Kyle killed weren't black (laughs) because the narrative from the very beginning is that Kyle was a white supremacist who went to Kenosha hunting black people. And that's just not true. Um, Both Joseph Rosenbaum and the other young man whose name I just have a really hard time remembering. I've seen it over and over and over. I don't know if it's the pronunciation or what it is, but I have a hard time with it. But Joseph Rosenbaum was a convicted child rapist, that he had raped little boys, been convicted of that on several counts, not just once, but several times, had he been convicted of raping young boys, that he was on the street at all, is, is angering to me, that somebody could rape a child, and then be out on the street at any point for the rest of their lives is is angering to me. Because to me, once you've done it once, the, you, there's no coming back from that. You don't rehabilitate after raping a child, the level of depravity that you have to reach to take someone who is so much weaker than you, and so innocent, and so trusting as a child, and as a grown up in their life to take them and rape them, I don't think that there's any coming back from that as far as your soul goes. Now, I believe that God can forgive any sin, but I don't think that anybody who has reached that level of depravity is is likely to turn to God and and confess their sin. If they do, great, but that's that's between them and God. I don't think a person who has committed that type of act should ever walk free again once convicted but the left is out there holding up joseph rosenbaum as a hero the signs that are waving the rhetoric that's being that's being spread about rosenbaum in particular is horrifying that a child rapist would be held up as a hero for this generation it's worse than george floyd being held up as a hero cuz george floyd as nasty and awful of a person as he was didn't, to our knowledge, rape children. Now, the two young men that Kyle killed, between the two of them, had an incredibly ridiculous rap sheet. They, between the child rape and and the other violent crimes that they had committed between the two of them, if Kyle had fired blindly, into a jail, chances are he would have killed better people than he happened to kill that night in Kenosha. That's a wild thing to think about to me, that the people he happened to kill that night were so vile that they just represented some of the worst of our society, and yet they're being held up as heroes by the left. I find the you know what a society has lost its way when it starts celebrating criminals and and vilifying heroes i was just reading the crucifixion story in luke um the gospel of luke the other day and remembering and reading again the part where jesus is on trial They want to crucify Jesus, and he's on trial in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate has this tradition where he sets free one person each year, Um, and he asks the crowd, he's like, do you want me to set Jesus free, or do you want me to set free this violent criminal who's been – who's basically an anarchist who has been – a political dissident and, and violent and, and just nasty. And the crowd's like, yeah, we want the violent criminal. Kill Jesus. Kill this person who has done nothing but heal people, nothing but help people, nothing but speak the truth. We hate him because he speaks the truth. Set free this violent criminal instead. And I thought when I read that, wow, none of this is new. We've been, as human beings, as wicked human beings, we've been doing this shit for ages. Since the beginning, we have been choosing violent criminals and celebrating violent criminals over the people who speak the truth and try to help because those people make us so uncomfortable with ourselves and we don't like it when they exist in the world. Kyle makes people uncomfortable because he shows how desperate the situation in the city was that night. That there were fires that a kid, a 17-year-old kid, would feel like he had to run down the street trying to put out. That there were people hurt on the street that a 17-year-old kid would feel like he had to help. That that a person who was trying to help people would get attacked, not by one person, not by two people, but by an entire crowd. And that that 17-year-old kid who was just there trying to help people would be, that the crowd would try to kill him for it. It's just incredible to me. But on on the subject of pedophilia, that is becoming more and more accepted, more and more normalized. And the push to normalize pedophilia and decriminalize pedophilia is becoming stronger and stronger and more and more mainstream. And that is, that's horrifying. Now, I'll have to admit, back when I was in high school and I heard the rhetoric from conservatives that was saying, well, if we legalize gay marriage, it's just a slippery slope into legalizing pedophilia. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Just just let them do what they want. Leave them alone. Like they're not threatening you. They're not hurting you. They just want to get married. That's fine. And that was my position back then. I was like, just leave the gay people alone to do their own thing. They're gonna, they're gonna have sex anyway. So we might as well, you know, give them marriage. Why, why the government in my mind, the government doesn't determine marriage in the first place. It's just a piece of paper. God determines marriage. So what's What's the big deal if we give gay people a piece of paper to, to say that they're in a committed relationship? I didn't care. And I didn't believe that it would be a slippery slope to pedophilia. And it's only a few years later, and here we are trying to normalize pedophilia. It's absolutely crazy and horrific to me. Um, and it's terrifying to me to see not only the number of celebrities who have been shown to have been involved in pedophilia. Everything from from Epstein to uh, Christian comedian John Crist, Um, just the number of people who in in the mainstream have been shown to be in relationships with minors, justifying that, getting away with that. Um, But also in my own life, two men that i know fathers of close friends of mine um people whose houses i stayed in stayed overnight in um two are now in in prison for for sexual crimes against their children um and it's it's horrifying to me that even in my limited personal experience there's such a high percentage of of pedophilia that's just it's horrifying to me. It it gives me pause when I think about trying to bring a kid into this world. Um, it really does. Um, so this is this is where we're at. We have the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, coming up, happening right now. Getting a lot less coverage than than Kyle. Uh, and I. I don't know if when we get a verdict for Kyle, if if the news cycle will pick up Jislain Maxwell or if it'll try to bury that story. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I think that this is the front line battle right now—the um, over pedophilia, over the trans agenda, which is which is tied closely in. It's a battle for our children and for sexually protecting our children, and, and there are strong forces on both sides. I think we've seen some victories um, on our side against it, but we've also seen there is a foundation that um, shoe On Head, who is a YouTuber and, and active on Twitter, did a an expose on the foundation Prostasia, which claims to be an organization that That protects children they're located across the street from a school but if you read their website if you look into what they do what it really is is trying to normalize pedophilia and setting up facilitating chat rooms where pedophiles can talk to minors and that's a that organization exists and has tax-exempt status has an active account on twitter is an active force fighting for pedophiles to be normalized. It is absolutely horrifying to me. Um, we're we're failing our kids. And if, if we can't... I would argue that the reason we have so many gender-confused children, not every single one of them, but the reason we have so many trans kids is that so many of those people were sexually abused. So many of those kids had or still have a pedophile in their lives who got away with hurting them and confusing them. At at the very least abusing them with verbally abusing them in ways that confuse them about their sexuality. So In this whole conversation, in this whole fight against pedophilia, I think we have to recognize that the trans issues and the pedophilia issue are intertwined. And this is not a fight we can afford to lose. So with that, I am going to move on to a bit of a book review and it's going to tie in to what I've been saying Uh, There's been a lot of talk about Michael Knowles' book, Speechless, that came out a couple months ago, Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire. But I think it's pertinent now because what Speechless does is talks about words and the left's desire to police language. And a great example of that is how we've been calling people who are attracted to children and who rape children, pedophiles. And now the left wants to say, no, 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 we're not going to call them pedophiles anymore. We're going to call them maps. We're going to track, call them minor attracted persons. And what the left does is it says, I don't like the idea that you're communicating with this word. So even though the word itself is fine, the word pedophile just means child lover. That's, that's what it means. (laughs) Um, in greek i believe but they don't like the idea that is communicated the stigma that is communicated when that word is used so they want to change the word after the word maps is accepted and then in circulation enough it will pick up the same stigma because the idea still exists even though the word has changed then the left will change that word and they've been doing that they've been doing that with words about people who were who have learning disabilities, people who are retarded even though that that's not a word. The word retarded just means slow. There's nothing wrong with that word, but that word's not allowed anymore because of an idea that it communicates that the left doesn't like. So Michael's book about the left's war on words and the war on ideas via the um the Weapon of Policing Language is really, really interesting, and I would encourage you to, to read that book and, and just kind of watch the progression of some of these battles through language over the last few decades. Um, it's a very Marxist um, thing to police language like that, since it's really interesting. But... Um, I thought I had one more thing I wanted to share with you but my mind is blanking on it so I am just going to let you go I hope you have a great day and I hope that we get a verdict soon and I really really hope and pray that Kyle gets justice and that Kyle gets to go free all right I'll see you on Twitter bye bye hey everyone I know I delivered a podcast this morning but we didn't have a verdict this morning and now I want to talk about the verdict Kyle is free. This kid, who has been through hell the last year and a half, has been acquitted. And he's free. And I, I have never, I don't think I've ever in my life been so invested in someone else's life and someone else's story that I had never met. I just want to hug that kid. I want him to be safe. I want him to be happy for the rest of his life. I I want his mom to be happy. I want that judge to have the best the best things. I and every member of that jury who did the right thing despite despite the threats, despite the fear, despite the media being absolutely awful that jury came back and did the right thing. Um, I know a lot of people were a little bit upset that the judge didn't go ahead and call a mistrial, but I think that an acquittal is so much better than a mistrial. Because if it had been a mistrial, number one, he would have had to have been retried. And number two, people would have been like, ah, he just got off on a technicality. And this this was the best of all possible circumstances, that he be acquitted. And I think that the judge had a good reason to believe that he would be acquitted. That he, That it was just, the prosecution was so bad and the defense was such a slam dunk that he was right to not call him mistrial, even though he could have, even though he had the right to. Um, and that that was awesome. Awesome to watch. I cried. I cried the first time I watched it. And then I cried the second time cuz I I rewatched it and then I watched it a third and I cried a third. It was re- <laughs> Anyway. What uh what a day. What a night. I can't stop smiling about this. I this kid has his life back and he's going to be able to mean, his life's never going to be what it was, right? It's not. People people are going to hate him. People are going to love him. He's going to have incredible opportunities, but he's also going to be in in a certain amount of danger for the rest of his life. He's going to have to live with that. Um, The kid obviously has PTSD, um, and I hope that he gets the help that he needs. Um, I just want to give him such a big hug, um, but obviously, he doesn't know who I am. Um, But, wow. A lot of people are saying they hope he sues the shit out of, out of everybody. And if he wants to do that, I want him to do that. But if he just wants this to be over... I could see a timeline where he just wants this to be over. And he just wants to go back uh, and have a normal life to, to whatever extent that he can. Um, take the opportunities... The, the the speaking opportunities, the interviews, make his money that way. I don't know. I wouldn't blame him if he never wanted to be in a courtroom again. Um, if his first step after weeks in that courtroom, trying to find out his fate, if he was like, no, oh, fuck, I don't I don't want to sue anybody. I don't want to sit in a courtroom ever again. I, I would understand that. So I, I'm curious to see what he does. And I think that we need to let him do what he wants. He's not gonna I I don't think Kyle needs to be our conservative tool to stick it to the left. If he wants to do that then that's great. But I don't think anyone should try to pressure him into that or think that there's only one right way for him to go about things. I think he needs to do what's best for him, so um I hope he got his AR fifteen back. That that little Reddit thing. little Reddit story about the judge saying, he forgot something. Throws him his AR-15. Credits roll and the Eye of the Tiger plays. I love that meme. I think it's fantastic. I think this story really gripped, really gripped us. Um, I have been so invested in it. In fact, a couple days ago, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to get on Twitter because I don't want to see spoilers for the trial. Like spoilers, as if I'm watching this TV show, I had to remind myself that it was real. Um, I I don't I can't imagine how I'd be feeling. Well, I can't imagine how I'd be feeling if if it went the other way. I I was so scared it was going to go the other way. I really thought I really thought it was going to be hung jury. Honestly, I I really thought that after after two days there wasn't chance of us getting, um, a unanimous decision from the jury, but, um, shows what I know, shows what I know about, uh, courtroom, so, and I think that that's something to, that we all need to remember is that for a lot of us, um, maybe we watched a Derek Chauvin trial, but for the most part, this is the first time any of us have really watched a trial, Cared about a trial Um, I think that's interesting I think there's a lot of interesting conversation to be had about whether or not it's a good thing to have the public dialed in to a trial because on the one hand it's really good to have the public know and to be aware of what's going on and obviously the people who watched this trial had a better idea of the facts of the case than the people who didn't and just had opinions they were yelling about online. However, at the same time, um, ultimately, it is it is the job of the jury to decide these things, and not you know all of Twitter. Even though we're watching, even though we're watching the trial, so in some ways, the eyes of the world in a courtroom can start to compromise, um, compromise it. So that that's something as we move forward as a society with the level of technology that we have, we're going to have to figure out uh, some of these high pro- profile cases, how appropriate it is to have you know, the, the entire country dialed in to a trial. Um, I'm certainly going to be paying attention to the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. I don't know if I'll watch it, watch it because subject matter that would be really upsetting to live in that trial um, as much as I've lived in Kyle's, but let's not take our eyes off Ghislaine Maxwell because that's there's going to be testimony there's gonna, there's no way that I, I think it says something that the media is not really reporting on, on the Ghislaine Maxwell trial so far, so something to keep your eye on but Y'all, let's, let's celebrate, let's, let's enjoy the hope that this has given us for our country, I know that I feel really light, um, and uh, this, is not, this is not something I'm going to forget, I, what, a, what an incredible feeling, um, and it's such a good feeling to celebrate with people, celebrate with Kyle. People who have just overcome something incredibly difficult. So, um, and then, and then, just don't let the trolls on Twitter get to you. It's I was scrolling through some of some of the people who were yelling, and uh, it's just disorganized yelling. Like it's of all the things to be angry about, being angry that somebody didn't get convicted is just it is wild to me. I mean, it in this situation. I mean, for the most part, we don't care if somebody gets convicted of murder or not. It just doesn't doesn't affect us. We don't even pay attention. But so many people are just kind of incoherently yelling into the void that this this boy gets a second shot um, at life. So it's just interesting watching them show again just how ugly they are. It's a reminder that we can win without being ugly. We can be right without being assholes. We can be strong without being assholes. And we can get it done. I mean, that Judge. He He was firm. He was clear. He raised his voice a little bit, but he wasn't an asshole. So anyway, I will leave you with that before I get on my hobby horse here. So, love you all. See you on Twitter. Good night. Hello, and welcome back to Chatting with Abby. Back for another segment tonight, because when I recorded this morning, we did not have a verdict, and now we have a verdict. So, apologize for the poor audio quality. I'm recording on my drive home. I just finished my Thanksgiving shopping, so I've got a turkey in my trunk. Uh, But I have just been in such a good mood since this afternoon when the verdict came down. And Kyle Rittenhouse cleared of all... Five charges, acquitted. This kid has been through hell. Like, first he barely survives that night in Kenosha, right? Has to deal with having taken life, which under any circumstances is awful has to deal with the fear and the terror and and, and the, the awfulness of those situations, turns himself into the police and then watches his life completely blow up as he is used as a pawn, as a symbol of hatred against the right and against gun ownership and all this stuff. Highly, highly politicized case. This poor kid just barely an adult now holy crap (laughs) I cried I legitimately like tears streaming down my face cried um just holding my breath for each count on the live stream and I know you can all relate almost all of you I'm sure who are listening to this watched that video yourself watch Kyle hear the verdict watch him just break apart um watch weight of the last year and a half come off of him, watch him realize that he has his life back um that his life at 18 isn't isn't over yet and all of a sudden what was a nightmare can turn into a dream because he's famous now and he's never gonna not be famous he I mean there are gonna be people who hate him for the rest of his life, and there are going to be people who love him, and he's going to have opportunities, and he's going to be in danger, and he's going to have to be wise. Um, so let's just keep praying for Kyle that he he figures figures out what to do next. I know a lot of people have been saying that uh, he needs to, you know, his first step should be to just sue the shit out of um, everybody who defamed him, and if he wants to do that, then great. I could also understand if he never wants to see the inside of a courtroom again. Um, I could understand if he doesn't want to spend the next couple years of his life in further litigation. Um, and I would I would think it was completely fair if he wanted to just earn his money through interviews, maybe write a book, who knows, um, and, and recoup his losses that way uh, as, a, as opposed to suing everybody. And I think that we need to remember... That even though this has been a victory for us on the right, that Kyle is no more our tool than he was the left's. Um, he's a he's a human being, and as much as we would love to use him to just continue dunking on the left and watch watch him soothe, soothe the shit out of them and watch him make his millions, that might not be the best way forward for him. Who knows? Um, I want him to do what's best for him. I want him... I want him to be safe. I want him to be happy. I want him to be free for the rest of his life. Um, and I hope he has Jesus. I really do. Um, him and his mom and, and the rest of his family. I. This is such a huge victory, but their lives aren't going to be easy just because he got off. They... I don't know if they've already paid their lawyer fees yet or if they're going to need help with that. I genuinely don't know. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to continue to be a tough road for them, even with the joy of, of the acquittal. So let's keep praying for them. Uh, and then let's keep praying for Kenosha because violence has already been threatened there and elsewhere. Uh, in New York City, we have Mayor Bill de Blasio basically inciting violence. We have representatives, politicians, um, public figures all over the country, um, suggesting in no uncertain terms that there's been a miscarriage of justice. Um, and, and if this were the summertime, I would say we are absolutely going to have riots. Um, and I think our only hope right now is that it's cold and it's, uh, really hard to like get out there for hours and just riot while it's this cold. So we're going to see what happens. Um, but let's, let's pray that we don't have the summer of 2020 again. Um, but wow. That judge, just a good old-fashioned public servant. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm still, I still can't believe it to an extent. I, I really thought that there was going to be a hung jury. And if not, my second guess was I thought that perhaps the judge was waiting until the last possible moment to call a mistrial. I thought maybe he was waiting to accumulate as much reason as possible to call the mistrial. But I'm glad that he didn't, and here's why. Um, I know I know a lot of people were frustrated with him that he he didn't call it and call it sooner, but I think my best guess is that he he knew it was such he saw the prosecution's case and he saw the defense's case and I think that he had good reason to believe that Kyle would be acquitted and if he had called a mistrial with prejudice the entire left would have screamed that Kyle got off in a technicality um, this acquittal is is the best of all possible worlds where he's genuinely unequivocally cleared of all charges. Um, I think that the judge was wise to even though he could have even though he had the right to even though he had the legal um, legal right to call on this trial I think this is better. Um, now there's so much you know now you can blame 12 people instead of one person for that decision and um, we just kind of pray that this jury stays anonymous. Um, and and, that the the judge and Kyle and his family and the jury all remain safe because there are a lot of people, even the small amount that I scrolled through Twitter tonight, uh, a lot of people who want them dead and a lot of people who want to see harm come to them. And uh, that's pretty scary. And I think think it's possible that all this blows over um, and that people just kind of, are angry about this for a while and then give it 72 hours and they'll be angry about something else or this could be really really bad. So, let's just pray and uh be hopeful. Enjoy enjoy this hopefulness. I I don't think I've ever in my life been so invested in someone else's story, someone else's story that I I never met. And this trial had all of the elements of a great story. Sometimes I was so engrossed in it as a narrative that I forgot that it was real. Uh, more than once I caught myself thinking, I don't want to go on Twitter right now because I don't want to see spoilers for the trial. Um, like I want to watch it myself. I don't want to, I don't want to know what happens. And, uh, I had to remind myself, Abby, this is real life. Like this is, this is somebody's real life. Um, as, as incredible as this whole experience was... And as much as I'm never going to forget it and all that... I don't know if I ever want to be so thoroughly dialed into a trial again. Um, just... that It consumed my life. <laughs> These past couple weeks consumed my... Like I wasn't really reading any books. I wasn't really watching any TV. I was just... Just watching the trial. Just listening to the commentary... Um, And it was really fun. I I mean, I don't regret it, but wow. Um, I'm curious. Tell me in the comments on Twitter. um, Was this the first trial you ever paid attention to? And if not, was Derek Chauvin's trial the first one you paid attention to? Um, I think it's interesting how much our society is becoming dialed into politics. I think it's a good thing. Um, I, I know it causes more division. When people are paying attention, but I think it's really good that people are paying attention. Um, the problem with with courtrooms being so open to the public eye is that there's a certain extent to which media, in particular, but but people in general, um, that having opinions and tweeting and stuff like that, um, I mean, we're not the jury. It's not our job to determine uh, whether whether the person is innocent or guilty. Um, So, there's a conversation to be had about whether the eyes of the world in a courtroom uh, compromises the integrity of the trial or not, and what that looks like, um, and what that needs to look like moving forward. Because I think moving forward, people are going to watch trials more. I think that people are going to pay attention more. I think people are going to pay attention to Ghislaine Maxwell's trial, despite the media's best efforts to keep it out of the news cycle. I think that... Um, we we're just living a different world now than than we used to. It used to be you, you could only really find out about a trial if you read the transcripts, unless you were there. So and and now we have live streams. So what a time to be alive, right? What a time to be alive. I hope and pray that Kyle is happy for the rest of his life, and that that's a good long life, and that he finds something good and productive to do that he finds meaning and purpose in life. He seems like such a good kid with such a good heart and something like this can really twist a person. And I really hope that he turns out okay and that he is okay. I know that he has PTSD right now. Um, I think he either said it in testimony or said it in an interview that he was, um, getting help for that. And, uh, I hope that he goes on to do something really incredible with his life. I think he has a lot of a lot of potential. So, um, He's famous now. That's what he wanted, right? He's just trying to be famous. Alright. Well, thank you so much for tuning in again. I will see you next week. Bye.